Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Page One Podcast. I'm Tarek. I'm Marco. Thanks for joining us at the Page One Podcast. If this is the first time you're listening to us, welcome. Um, at the Page <laughs> Where One. Where have you been? Yeah, exactly. You've missed out on so much. So many great guests. Joe Cornish, <laughs> Alistair Campbell, Dirk Maggs just to name but three recent guests. Um, but uh, at the Page One Podcast, we like to speak to writers of all kinds, uh, authors, comic book writers, screenwriters, video game writers, any kind of writer, to try and find out about how they turned their dream of writing into a profession, make money out of it, and got into the industry, and also try and get as many hints and tips about writing from them as possible, uh, and speak to them about their, their past body of work. And, and as I say, we've got a great catalogue of guests there, um, so please do check that out if, if this is your first episode. Um, but we are adding to that great catalogue today, Tarek. We are indeed adding to that catalogue, because today we are chatting with the wonderful Cathy Bramley, who we had a lovely conversation with. She's read a whole host of books. Uh, I guess you'd call them rom-com chiclet. Is that a appropriate? I don't know. She might disagree with that. She might disagree with me. Yeah. Uh, certainly a, a sort of a romantic novel, female protagonists yes. finding their way through life, I think. is, is... Yes, that's a much better way of putting it. Marco. Yes. Thank you. And, and she has a really interesting way of publishing her books, which is a serialization, mm-hmm. and she puts them out in four parts. Uh, each part comes about two, three months after the other, and at the end of it, she then puts all four parts in one big book. And it's a really unusual way of working. I've never read I mean, a book split into four parts before. No, not since I read Great Expectations or something. You know, it's it's <laughs> back, a very back, when you, back, back in eighteen forty. Well, no, I, I ha- you are allowed to read books from an old time. It doesn't mean you had to be around at that time. Mark was one hundred and five. Just tuning in for the first week. I didn't mean I read the serialisations. I was I was meaning that those books by Dickens were serialised, and since then it's not a common thing to get serialisations. Uh, in modern times, I guess. Uh, you know, I can think of some authors. Alexander McCall Smith serialised one of his books uh, in The Scotsman, I think. Um, so it does happen, but it's pretty rare. And actually, you know, doing it in that quarterly basis, I thought was really interesting hearing why she does that. And also that it gives the stories a kind of natural rhythm, mm-hmm. natural up and down, because, you you know, it's not just like a daily serialisation where it's it's just, you know, a few hundred words. It's... It's a good chunk of a book. It's 30,000 words. So there's enough there to get into the characters, get something happening. But you almost have, like, I think uh, she described it as a sine wave through the book. Yeah. Um, so it always keeps your interest, I think, which, you know, even if you're not reading it as a serialized thing, it, it works as a whole novel as well. And I think when you're writing it, I'd imagine that, you know, psychologically it must feel easier than writing mm-hmm. 120,000 words, I'm going to do 30,000 words. I'm going to almost have a big proper beginning, middle and end and then have a break and then start part two. And it, I think breaking it down to kind of manageable chunks is quite a nice way to mm-hmm. to think about it. I've never thought about it before, but I quite like that idea. Yeah. Well, so we talked to Cathy uh, about all of that. And also we hear about how she first started in self-publishing and the very interesting way that she launched her first book, uh, which was uh, quite ingenious, to be honest. Um, But we'll get 
straight into the podcast after a quick advert for our writer's notebook, um, which you can also check out at the link in the podcast description. Uh, and we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest. But for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. So I, I think I'm right in saying that you ran your own marketing agency for years. Um, were you writing while you were doing that? What made you make the push into the writing world? Uh, yeah, I, I had a marketing agency for 18 and 19 years in the end. Um, I started writing sort of 18 months towards the end of that. And uh, it gradually became more and more important to me. Um, I'd been looking for something new, but I just couldn't think of a job that I wanted to do at all. And, uh, <laughs> and I just thought, you know, running my own marketing agency was fun, but it sort of come to the end of its life, really. Mm. I didn't. I wanted something new and I wanted a challenge. And um, I thought I'd, we'd just built our own house, actually, going back a step. We'd built our own house and I'd been doing a blog, um, blogging every week about the bills so that we would have a record of it because you forget so much of mm -hmm. what happens, certainly on a weekly basis. So um, I was writing this blog and, and everybody sort of, all the builders were like ducking down when I came near them with a the camera, like, oh God, here she comes again. <laughs> and by the end of it, they were all posing, you know, at the side of the <laughs> I'm like, can I be on it this week? Can I be on it? And, uh, and the local paper, the Nottingham Post, um, did a, a monthly update on the house and, and everything. So it was just great. Oh, and cool. I really enjoyed the yeah. writing of it. And I found that actually the writing of it was what I really enjoyed. And there wasn't a lot, but I just enjoyed it. And I sort of missed that once once the house had been finished. So um, 
uh, I, there's a number of things that happened, but I thought, well, you know, I really enjoyed writing that. Maybe I could write something else. And I've always been a, a big reader. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. That's quite interesting. So it almost sounds like, you know, your kind of passion for writing was almost a bit of a surprise. You know, something yeah. you didn't realise you yeah. had you had it in, in, inside you until you started doing yeah. the blog. Yeah. Well, as a, you know, in marketing and PR, you're doing a lot of writing, but it's obviously... Well, I say non-fiction, but press releases, you know, (laughs) (laughs) touch and go. Um, So I was writing things for sometimes TV advertising in my earlier career, um, press releases, news features, that sort of thing. Um, And so I'd always written. um, And, you know, you have a you can't just wait until you feel like you've got to sit down and just write it. So I'd always written, but it had never been something from inside me. It was never Mm -hmm. my writing. Um, so yeah, so it, it really did surprise me. It really did surprise me when, uh, when I really enjoyed writing fiction. And, and how did you come up with the first idea then? What, what was it that made you want to tell that first story? Um, well, it was actually to do with the house because we'd just built this house and you, you know, you learn so much when you're doing something like that. We'd never built a house before, obviously we had builders, but we, my husband pretty much project managed it. Uh, and I thought I now know all about this, you know, building a house. So maybe I should write something about somebody building a house. Mm-hmm. And I had this, my husband actually, um, inherited his father's bungalow, um, on a quite a big plot of land. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe there's something there about inheriting a house. And uh, and so I just sort of played with the idea and, um, you know, kept going, sort of digging at this idea until I came up with something which I felt could carry a novel. It took me a long time. I, I threw away a lot of versions before um, I ended up with Conditional Love, which was uh, my first self-published novel. Yeah, and I was going to say, so you you went down the self-publishing route um, initially. Now, was yeah. that a conscious decision or did you try yeah. sending it out to agents? No, you, you just wanted no, to do no, self-publishing. No. Because I'd been involved in marketing, I knew that if I could actually, I didn't know if I could write a book, but I thought if I can write a book, I can market it. Mm-hmm. I should be able to get it for sale and I should be able to get it um, under people's noses so I thought um, the challenge to me was not so much the publishing side but it was the writing so um, once I'd written one I thought right now what I'm going to do is um, I'd, I'd sort of simultaneously been writing a second so I thought here's my plan I'm going to write this book I'm going to launch it publish it on Amazon I'm going to do really well and uh <laughs> And I'd found an agent I really wanted to work with. I'd been sort of following her for a year um, while I was writing, getting my book ready for publication. Mm-hmm. I thought once I've once I've published it and I'm doing really well and I'm basking in this huge author project, <laughs> I'll um, I'll send it to her. I'll send the second one to her, and with a view to saying, you know, um, right, I've done this. Uh, you know, I've sold this many books. It's absolutely brilliant. You know, how could you not want to take me on? And honestly, I can't believe, looking back, and I'm saying it like this because I can't believe I was so confident mm-hmm. <laughs> that it was just going to work. You know, I had plan A, no plan B, you know, that's what's going to happen. But I um, I was able to pull in some of my marketing skills. And uh, when I self-published Conditional Love, uh, we've got a village phone box here, mm-hmm. which has been converted into a book exchange so I spoke to the parish council and I asked them if I could take all the books out and just fill it with my own. 
And um, I contacted, nice. I thought we can't have a big book launch because obviously I haven't got any money, nothing behind me. So I'm going to go for the world's smallest book launch. And I approached Guinness World Records <laughs> and I said, I'm having a book launch in a phone Brilliant. box. You know, That's an excellent on. idea. And uh, put all, you know, had a load of paperbacks printed, stuck them in the phone box. Um, honestly, I was expecting Norris McGuire to come along with his team. <laughs> because I thought, you know, you, you do get this. There's a, isn't there a record for the number of gymnasts you can get in a phone box? Yeah, thought, sure Oh, yeah, yeah. What about yeah. a book launch? Yeah, you know? yeah. That's a great oh, idea. Make it a kind of quirky thing that has a bit of a, yeah. a kind of a hook to people. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's what happens. So I um I, I invited the mayor to come along and do the opening. Wow. <laughs> I didn't tell him it was in a phone box. I just said book launch, and then I had his secretary. He said I would be delighted to. I support literary, you know, endeavors in the in the region, and I had his secretary ring up and said. We've looked on Google Maps and we can't see the bookshop. It's like, oh, don't worry, just just look for the bunting. You'll you'll see us. You'll see us. So he, bless him, he got out of his mayoral car with his wife, you know, with the full regalia, this big ribbon, and he, he cut the ribbon on the phone box. Oh, know, that's and then got in it with me. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, and of course, it made quite had quite a bit of press about that, um, and it's it's still wheeled out to this day you know pictures of me in the phone box with my books so that was a really good start that's a brilliant idea to to generate some buzz yeah yeah it it did work it did work and uh, so I thought yeah see it doesn't matter if the book's good or not people will remember the fact that it was in a phone box and is that Um, for someone who's doing it themselves without going through like a publisher is that the or not maybe the the most important thing but one of the most important things is that first launch is that making that impact as strong as you can yeah, from the, from the get-go. Because the thing is, people will write a press release to say something like, um, author writes book, um, mm. you know, <laughs> effectively. Yeah. And it's yeah. not news. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got to find a hook and you've got to find a way to stand out. And that's the thing is, it's not important. It's not doesn't matter what's important to you, the writer. You've got to find out what's important to the reader of the news release or, you know, whatever. So my focus was on what am I going to, you know, how can I get people's attention? And Mm -hmm. so that's what I did. Um, And were you able to use as well the the fact that you had the marketing agency and stuff to get a press release out to, you know, you knew where to, you knew where to sort of advise that this was happening. Yeah. And I think it's not just finding the contacts because that actually these days it is relatively easy to find the press contacts. It was just not being scared because mm-hmm. quite a lot of people are like, oh, I couldn't go on the radio. Um, mm-hmm. I couldn't, um, I could, you know, I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't speak to anyone. Um, and that has, because I know that people are on your side and they're just trying to, not trying to trick you, yeah. they're trying to pull the story out of you. So, you know, it doesn't bother me or it never did right from the beginning. And I, and I think that, that really helped. Yeah, because I suppose at the end of the day, they want the best story. They want, they, you know, as you say, they're not trying to trick you. They, they want it to be a good story. They want people to read it because they want more mm. clicks, etc. And it's a kind of win-win. If you have a good story, if you make a good impact, they get yeah. more readers, they get more clicks, and everybody gets yeah. something out of it. Yeah, yeah. So, so that really helped. And then, so I wrote to the um, agent that I'd been wanting to um, work with, and the, I'd chosen her very specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted somebody that had authors similar to myself, um, so she would know the right editors. She would already be working with those editors, and also that wasn't afraid to take on somebody who'd self-published first, because I was 
I was following some other self-published authors at the time in my genre, mm. Kirsty Greenwood, Annabelle, Rachel Lucas, who'd all really, really successfully self-published and then gone on to get a traditionally published deal, mm-hmm. um, which was what I wanted. Um, so, um, so I approached this agent and, uh, she said, actually, I noticed you and, um, I was going to approach you. Brilliant. Oh, wow. So the whole plan E worked plan in the end then. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. And I, th- I think you, you've still got this model of sort of serializing your your novels as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, that's I suppose as a as a concept, it goes back to sort of Dickens and things like yeah. that. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's obviously a concept that works, but it, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not something you see very often. So, I mean, what, no. what's the what's the thinking behind that approach? Okay, well, once I'd sent my book off to this agent. Um, it was Christmas, so I left it, left her with it over Christmas, and um, um, it was about the second or the third of January, and I got an email from an editor at um, Transworld, part of Penguin Random House, uh, to say that she'd read the book and um, thought it was great, and she'd got an idea. Could she talk to me? So I remember coming off the phone thinking, because I'd never heard of Transworld, <laughs> and. Uh, because it, they, it's not tend, to, it's not the brand or the imprint that yeah. gets, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it tends to be Doubleday and Black Swan and you know all these others. Yeah. And I thought, I'm a, I was, well, it's really nice that you know that she's got in touch with me, but I wish it was a big publisher. <laughs> <laughs> Afterwards, I was really to get in touch. <laughs> it just shows that I know nothing about publishing. Anyway, she, we got to talk, and she said she'd been thinking about having something that would be serialized. Um, and, uh, you know, as an ebook that people could download and just like keep, you know, keep that profile going. Um, and she was on about monthly, actually. I soon knocked that on the head. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I came up with the idea of writing, um, a story, a quarterly series, mm. um, set on an allotment. And, uh, so it'd be spring, summer, autumn, winter, which, it was January when we were speaking, so I thought if I pull my finger out, we can start with spring. Uh, and that's what we did. So the first book to be serialized was Ivy Lane, and it came out in four parts. And then the following year, um, the following February, it came out as a paperback. Uh, and I'd never written like that before. It wasn't my idea. But mm. once I'd done it once, I loved it. I absolutely love it. Um, what? I mean, I wanted to ask about the process of, of writing something that you know is going to come out in four chunks. Yeah. You know, does that, because that must change the planning of it and the structure of how you think, because you're, you know, you're not you're just writing one massive book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, are you kind of wanting to leave it on a point every time that brings folk back? The duff Leave folk wanting more, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, yes, it does change. And I really like that because. I have a very, very short attention span. Uh, so what it means is I can write a book, like part one, and I've done it, and I can have celebrate that I've done something and I've achieved it and I've finished, and then I can move on to part two. But in terms of the overall, I, I think, in my head, I'm thinking like TV. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of a drama series or a comedy series of four parts, mm-hmm. and you know there's an overarching theme that's you know some there's going to be a big resolution at the end but there's also you know each part has got its own little story arc and has some sort of resolution uh, or some turning point yeah. you know mm-hmm. um and what that does is it means it is 
although they're character-driven books, it's also fairly content-driven in that they're working towards something in each yeah. part. So something happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it helps me with planning because I can sort of think, well, say if I, I normally go for about 120,000 words for four parts. So I know it's roughly 30,000 and I know I've got to get something in. You know, so it does really divide it up for me in terms of what I need to, it keeps my pacing really tight. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that. Which, and I really enjoy writing like it. And actually in the books that I've written that aren't serialized, I've still in my head serialize them (laughs) (laughs) because I just find it a really neat way of writing and it just keeps me on track. I mean, it's quite a, it's, it's, it is, you know, you're referring to sort of TV dramas and things like that. It is quite a sort of cinematic or, you know, I'm just thinking of like film beats and acts structure, Mm. act structure and all that sort of stuff. If you're doing it like that, then you, you must have to be much more disciplined than if you're, as you say, sitting down and writing a 120,000 word novel, without that uh, sort of in your head it can go anywhere you know you can pace it the pace of it can sometimes be very slow at points and but you you have to sort of keep the foot the foot on the on the pedal for each part Mm. so i can see that that yeah well i do you know the little story mountain picture you Mm -hmm. see you know Mm -hmm. i have one of those for each part um, and so i can see where my beats are Mm-hmm. And I can, you know, I know I've got to hit certain points by, you know, so many thousand words. Yeah. It's making it sound really formulaic, which it isn't, but it's just that you know that you can't just have some wafty scene. No, totally. I think, see, it, you know. I think that's right. I think it is always important to, you know, there is that kind of the arty farty part of just having a, you know, it has to flow nicely and has to go blah, blah. But you also, there is that technical side of it, which you do need to make sure that you are having constant cliffhangers or having beats mm. that they are overcoming obstacles and that and you're continually it is quite like the, the, that kind of sine wave graph is quite accurate i think and, and yeah. it, it must be quite a nice way of doing it breaking it into chunks where you know you've got that and, and when you read it back in, in, in one go if you buy the paperback you know you've got that constant beat just going all mm. the way through it which is we've all read books where it kind of waffles for a long time before it really gets going but you you're you going to trim that right out if you mm-hmm. have it. Yeah. That's quite a nice way to write it. I like that. Yeah, you don't have the option of that first 10,000 words being a load of waffle. Exactly. Because, you know, you've only got 30,000 words to get this first quarter of the story because you want people to hit buy for part two. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and when, you, when these are serialised, so are you, you know, what is the actual writing process? Obviously, you plan it out, but do you write the whole 120,000 yeah. words? before it then gets out or do you yeah so you do yeah yeah uh-huh. yeah yeah I write the whole novel I mean when I first wrote the first one Ivy Lane the idea was that we were going to publish the first one and I was going to write the second but I just thought no I just can't mm-hmm. hand in a quarter of the novel um, and have it come out in I think it was first week in April and I can't then you know be panicking that I can't change the you know yeah. change the end yeah. sort of thing mm-hmm. or I've got to stick with what I've started so I I wrote like the wind and got that first book in um and uh sent it off and I I had it all written it wasn't all fully edited but it was written yeah um before the first part came out so I I can see as well that it's it's a good idea as well from the point of view of attracting new readers in the sense that if you've got you know they're much more likely to say oh it's it's 30,000 words I'll I'll give that a go and then if they like it they'll suddenly buy into the rest of it whereas if if they see a book that they're not they don't know that well but it's very long they're less likely to 
to yeah. to jump on that. So yeah. there's a lot of pluses to it. I can see. Yeah, I mean, I'm still I'm wondering whether as um, my readership grows, whether people will bother with the series because they'll think, oh well, I'm, I'll buy, mm. I'll wait to buy the whole book. Mm. So that remains to be seen. Um, I mean, it's almost like a subscription model, isn't it? You kind of, you, I mean, because I was, how do you how do you market the the thirty thousand word chunks in terms of in terms of price and stuff? Do you you know do you charge as on an MP? So my Kindle books, my full books are um, fully books are three ninety nine. Right. Okay. okay. Parts are ninety nine p. So there's no cost benefit either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So, and so that's really important to me. Yeah, I don't want yeah. people to think they've got to pay four pounds for the parts and then have the full book out at one ninety nine. Yeah. Exactly. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Because you lose trust, I suppose. Me. Or people say, yeah. "Well, what's the point? I'll just wait till the end, and then they might never exactly, buy the end book yeah. in the end." Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be promotions. You know, book retailers will do a promotion for a month and mm-hmm. drop the price, but. Um, the standard price is three ninety nine, which is really important. And and just staying on the writing process, you know, how long do you spend on a plan, or does it depend a on the story? Time. Right, a long time. Okay. I mean, I've um, it, I, I'm t- because I, I tend to deliver two books a year, um, but I'm already already know what my next one will be so I'm sort of planning in the background. Mm-hmm. But then when I've sent off the book and it's not on my you know, it's not on my to-do list at the time. Um, I will then plan properly, but I, I spend a long time planning, um, and then I change the plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I just uh, I have to have that plan in place to actually yeah. get going. Yeah, I think I think it's very rare for for people, even you know, even people who like to plan a lot at the start. It's very rare yeah. for in the writing of it not to change in some yeah. way because you know that's what happens when you're telling the story things things take unexpected turns and uh, you know i think because we all write in different ways i think when we some people say oh i don't plan and what they do is they write a draft which is almost like their plan isn't it and then they go back Mm -hmm. exactly exactly yeah you know it's like a bit really long plan Um, yeah i think that's right a good friend of mine millie johnson who writes in the same genre as me she hasn't got a clue she says when she starts writing a book, she knows where the end point is, but she's basically driving in fog yeah. <laughs> and she can't see more than two metres in front of her. Um, and so she just ploughs on and then, you know, her next edit will be, you know, she has to then mm-hmm. put, put layer, layer it sort of as she goes. Whereas mine is a very clean draft, my first draft, because I've spent a long time thinking about it and I know where I'm going and I know my character's quite well before I start off. Yeah. And and I could read somewhere that you do obviously a lot of research and um and if you've got a book that's set in a little town somewhere that you kind of have an idea for you'll go to that town and spend a few days there to get a feel for the place. And yeah. is that something you know, in in your genre of books where it's quite it's quite real life stuff, is that is it important to get those little things right? You know, it's not like a sci fi novel or whatever, but it's it's about the yeah, place is quite important. Sometimes it's just I love dialogue. Mm-hmm. I love writing dialogue. I hate writing description. Mm-hmm. So what I try and do is I'll try and go somewhere that inspires me to, you know, and I'll actually think of things and I might take photographs. So when I'm back and I'm writing a scene about a rocky beach, I can actually look at a photograph and, you know, and it just yeah. helps me from that yeah. perspective. Yeah. And scenery and things like that. I'm, I just really don't like, I skip over description in other people's books. Yeah. <laughs> so so it really does drive me mad to have to write it myself. So, um uh, so I do struggle with that. So to be somewhere really helps me sort of absorb it, and it just becomes easier to to write it. And that's probably nicer to actually read as well, because you're not just getting 
a page or so of what the beach is like. You're kind of getting <laughs> what the beach is like through as the person's talking about the beach or walking over the yeah. beach. You know, it's, it's kind of, you know, dribs and drabs, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's quite interesting. And um, I also like to go away and write anyway. Um, so I will go, in fact, in January, I got an Airbnb just up the road from me um, and went for a sort of a long weekend to just get, particularly when I'm in at the beginning of a book and I just need to move into it mm-hmm. so it's, I'm completely in it and I can mm-hmm. just write. Loads. As I get further on and I'm more confident in the story, I can sort of write wherever. I could write in the kitchen when someone's cooking dinner. Yeah. Um, but um, as I'm just grateful that someone's cooking dinner. So <laughs> stay close. Um, but, uh, you know, I do like to be away and um, I go on lots of writing retreats. So there's two a year I go on. Right. I can't do it this year. No. Um, yes, I know. We go into this big property. We've got our own rooms, bathrooms, and desk, and we just write away and then meet for meals. And um, we're all commercial authors. We're all writing to deadlines, and it's just great. There's some sort of magic that happens that we all tend to write really, really huge word counts when we're there. So that is great as well, and just bouncing off each other. So that's really helpful. And yeah. do you do you show? Do you like to finish a draft before you share it with anyone else, or do you get you know do you try and get input from people as you're writing it i don't show anybody but um one of my friends uh, rachel lucas we bounce plot stuff off each other so um you know i'll ring her up and say this bit isn't working what do you think and we'll talk mm-hmm. it out and mm-hmm. she'll go, oh why don't you da, da, da. so um and a lot of us do i mean all authors do that i'm sure but we do bounce pl- help each other out with plot um yeah. but not i don't show anybody a, a manuscript at all yeah, it's funny. I think the, the 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 whole plot thing can be. I think you're totally right. I think every author must struggle with that when when you kind of feel you've written yourself into a corner and you're like, "How do I get out here?" Or I know I have to get to here, but I don't know how to get there. And I think so you you do just need someone on the outside to to look at it and be like, "Well, you're too close to it, you can't see." But why would yeah. you do that? And you think, yeah. "Oh, obviously that's a really good idea." Yeah. yeah. My my friend actually was once sent a message into the WhatsApp group saying, "I've had this." this whole group in this room for hours i can't get them out of the room and someone said send a dog in and they went Do you mean, oh brilliant it's great when that happens and uh, given that your draft will obviously be uh, quite a clean draft as you said when you send it to the editor or whatever do you get um you know uh, how much revision is given back? How many notes do you get? Or is it is it not too much work after that first draft? Um, she always says, just a light touch. Right. All it was going to take is a light touch. She'll be back to me in a few days and like a month later, <laughs> grimacing at the keyboard. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yes, yeah, so I'm editing at the moment. But the thing is, it's just the, pr- the, the further you go on, although you, in theory you should be more confident, but part mm. of you is less confident because you just want to be better every time and you know I'm, I'm more far more critical of myself now uh, than that first book when I hadn't got a clue what I was doing you know so so yeah editing I re- I'm really taking a lot of care with this book because I want it to be my best book so um, I am really thinking about it but um, so she'll send me um, um, some few notes she'll do a few line edits and then she'll send her notes about the story and She's, there's only one real thing that she wants adding into this one, but as I'm going through it, I can see that it it can be better. So I'm, mm-hmm. I pretty much rewrite it. I mean, and, and how do you know when it's ready to be sent in? You know, I mean, obviously there's the deadline, which will be the hard stop, but 
How yeah. do you know? And uh, one more draft, then it's ready. What's the process? Well, what I do, I only really do two drafts. So okay. I'm going through. Well, first of all, I get her notes, and I anything that she's underlined in the document, I will change it. Then I go back to the beginning, read through her notes again, and then start from page one and work through. Um, and then when I get to the end, I go back to her notes and check through that I've done everything that she wanted me to do, or at least the ones I agreed that I'm going to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, I just send it off to her. Right, Delete okay. all her notes from the text <laughs> so she can't see what she's saying. Yeah. <laughs> I've done everything. I've done everything. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> don't know what you mean. <laughs> I mean, have you ever had that where there's a suggestion made that you just think, no, that isn't going to work? You know, have you ever had that much of a conflict with your inner? I would love to say... Yes, but actually, annoyingly, she is always right. <laughs> she is always right. And I think, oh, and you know, you don't want to do what she says because it's more work, but you think in deep down, you know, it's going to yeah. be a lot more, a mm-hmm. lot better book for it. But yeah, yeah, she's, and the thing is, it's somebody, some fresh pair of eyes, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. come on and, you know, she's not just looking at this manuscript, which is why I love my editor so much. She's looking at the long term you know, where this story sits within the other stories mm-hmm. and, um, you know, where we're going with it and which territories is going to be published in and mm-hmm. what that might mean for those territories. So she's just such a clever old stick that I just tend to do what she says <laughs> and well, they hate her for it. <laughs> well, let's have a chat about your new book, which is My Kind of Happy, and it's out mm-hmm. uh, March 2021, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a bit about the new book. Okay, so that is another serial. So we're up to two two parts are already out. The third part will be out on the eighth of October, then the fourth in November. Paperback in March. So this the idea for this one, um, my kind of happy, came to me when I was sitting outside a hotel uh, for my sister's wedding a couple of years ago in the sunshine in Edinburgh. Actually, yeah, nice, wonderful city. Lovely, yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> and um, I was looking, scrolling through Facebook, and someone had put on a link to a TED talk by a guy called Sebastian Terry, who's Australian. And he'd, um, he had this sort of blog, I think it is, or website, whatever, called 100 Things. or And, and his slogan is sort of, what's on your list? And something happened to him. He had a personal crisis. And he thought, uh, he made him really look at his life and say to himself, if I were to die, and I know I was going to die tomorrow, would I look back at my life and be really proud of what I've achieved? Have I lived my life to my values? Am I happy? And ultimately, he decided that he wasn't happy. So he decided overnight to change everything. And this premise really stuck with me. On a personal level, it really made me think about my own life mm. and what made me happy and what I wanted, what I was, what was it I was still wanted to do and why am I not doing it? Um, and it also thought, I also thought that'd be a great premise for a book. So my kind of happy is all about somebody who's had a personal crisis. Um, she's lost someone very close to her and has forgotten what makes her happy. And she's just going through the motions with life. And then she, something triggers her to start making her own happiness list. And off she goes. Um, and the first thing that she thinks about is flowers because of her family history and what she used to do with her family. And she, she decides to... to trained to be a florist and that was the first thing on her list and, and off she goes sort of thing so uh so yeah so that's what my kind of happy is about it's a journey to happiness brilliant yeah. and what was the process with it was it a fairly smooth book to write or was it um did you have any difficulties with that one 
yeah do you know what it was it was a smooth one to to write i'm gonna say um yeah for once it was mm. fairly fairly straightforward um i did lots of floristry courses to do it i really wanted to get into i actually enrolled on a beginner's floristry course as if i was going to open my own florist right and um i, I kept ringing and saying you do know i'm not going to be a florist <laughs> and uh, i am going to be rubbish and there was all these other women there you know stripping the leaves and, and <laughs> can't find the scissors. <laughs> uh, so that was great fun. I learned loads about that and I did really enjoy it. Um, uh, so, but yeah, it was, it was fairly straightforward actually. Um, was it, it's not, oh, sorry, no, no. All I was going to say was that, you know, that, that, that it sounds to me like you, you're very much a believer in the sort of write what you know sense in terms of, you know, not you'll go and research it and you'll live it almost to, to, so that you can then transfer that into your writing. Is that fair? Um, yeah. I mean, that one, Certainly in the first few books, I was writing what I knew because I, in my previous life as a marketing and PR agency, I had a stately home client, which I used um, the research for to write Wickham Hall. I used to do the PR for a cookery school, which became Plumbury School of Comfort Food. I'd worked for cafes, etc. you know, and um, I had a client who had a, who has a farm and I used her farm as the model for Appleby Farm. So and my, and I grew up next to an allotment. So uh, Ivy Lane, you know, used the allotments. So certainly from the early ones, um, but sometimes it's about a concept. So White Lies and Wishes was about three women that meet at a funeral. And, you know, everybody says, gosh, doesn't it make you think you've got to seize the day? That was the premise for that. So they're all different, really. Mm-hmm. Um and I think, you know, eventually, if I just write what I know, I'm going to run out. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to sort of expand my repertoire a bit. I mean, it does sound to me like the, the concept of your, of this book is, it does remind me a little bit of your own story in which someone who kind of got to a point and was like, you know what, I want to change things up and you know, what makes me happy is it's writing. And, and mm. you kind of kind of almost start from scratch again. And yeah. Which obviously was worked out well for you. And then, I suppose would you is there a, maybe it's too much to say semi autobiographical, but is there something there that in yourself that you kind of feel that um you kind of click with that idea of starting from scratch and, and following what's important to you? Um I think yeah, I mean it was a massive risk uh doing that, I have to say. Um and uh I, again, plan A, you know, didn't have plan B. <laughs> yeah. Um but uh I don't don't know about semi autobiographical uh, I can't even say it. <laughs> um, but I think there's always an element of the books that I write have an element of what's going on inside my head at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back, I can see that now. Um, I I'm not no, I'm not as aware of it at the time necessarily, but looking back, um, you know, very much so. Um, so there is always something. It does ref- I mean, it is your subconscious isn't it yeah although it's not none of the characters are like me really um but there's something there there's some point i'm trying to get across yeah definitely Um, i I think that's true of any of any good book you'll always get a bit of the author whether yeah it doesn't need to necessarily be a representation of the author but you know you'll they'll they'll put what they think about something in there in some way i mean obviously you you mentioned it a bit earlier with the in relation to the writing retreat um but you know it sounds like a book that that you do want at the moment with everything that's going on in the outside world um and and all the restrictions we're under i mean have you have you found 
that that's affected your writing in any way you know have you found it more difficult or yeah massively yeah I mean I couldn't write my husband was shielding right from day one um and that was a big you know it was a big thing you know we had a lot of fear in the house Mm -hmm. um yeah we couldn't let him catch it be exposed to the virus so it's like how are we going to get food in how are we going to so it was there's a lot of fear on practical things Mm -hmm. completely overtook my creative um yeah. you know, my, my creative life if you like um luckily i handed in the draft of um the next book um which i'm now editing in march just as we were going into lockdown right. just as my book came out actually <laughs> and couldn't find its way onto the shelves from the boxes <laughs> in warehouses um so I'd handed that in and then I just had a period of, I just thought I'm going to just relax now about writing. Yeah. I'm ahead of schedule. I'm not going to stress about it. I'm just going to see what happens. And I did start writing eventually, I think in June, was it June? I started writing my next book. Well, not my next book, but a next book, mm-hmm. a new book. Um, uh, so I started writing that, um, but it didn't really flow that well. It's fine, you know, and, mm-hmm. gonna, and then I left it for a bit and I'm editing this now and I'm going to pick it back up again next week. Um, I, mean, it, I mean, it must be hard to, especially if you're writing a book in your genre, to get in that headspace when it's, when especially if you're in the situation you were in at home with your husband and everything's very oppressive and, you know, st- stressful and trying to get into that headspace that you need to, to be able to write uh, uplifting story it's yeah. probably the worst kind of environment you could be in to write that sort of book yeah it is I mean it's in a way it's sort of an escape because when my husband was diagnosed um with cancer a few years ago actually it became a massive escape um to be able to like put myself in a world where everything's going really well mm-hmm. um you know it was it was a really good thing to be doing yeah. um, but this year it's, it has felt really hard but also I've had my two children uh one's just one's got covid actually and oh, as oh, we speak geez. um in the uh, university and locked oh, no. in her room her having the freshest week of her life oh, um <laughs> uh, and uh you know the other one's hit she's just about to go back so I thought you know this summer I've got two wonderful kids I'm gonna just enjoy my time at home with them because next year they can't go anywhere um and uh let's just drink gin in the garden so, <laughs> that's, what we do. Yeah. that's a good plan be there yeah. <laughs> definitely yeah <laughs> absolutely um and w- w- obviously um so your books i would say have a the genre that they are you could see them on tv or something like that has there ever oh, been has there ever been interest in that and would you want to write for TV in that way or anything? Yeah, I suppose, knowing me, um, I would probably think, I know what I'm going to do next. I'm going to write something for TV. Um, so, yeah, possibly. I mean, I do look at certain dramas on TV and I thought, oh, you know, I would love that so mm-hmm. much. Um, I did have a TV company looking at one of my books, actually, um, Wickham Hall, just when Downton Abbey was coming to an end. And right. I think you know, it could have been in modern day mm-hmm. Downton Abbey, but yeah. it didn't go anywhere, which is so often the way. Um, so I do get a bit. And I had a movie scout was interested in the man, seeing the manuscript for A Patchwork Family, which is the paperback I had out uh, in March. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always so exciting. It just gives you a lift to know that yeah. somebody outside yeah. of just the publishing world is interesting. But, you know, I mean, exciting for me at the moment is just getting more foreign foreign rights deals um so i've um i've 
been published in Germany for a long time are now going to be published in Sweden and Holland. So, cool. you know, that, it's just great to see that, yeah. you know, to see yeah. that growth. Exactly. And would you ever, I mean, would you ever want to write in a different genre, you think? Would you, any, any other than else, a, a horror book or a, <laughs> or a gritty action uh, thriller? Well, I sort of managed to shoehorn dark bits into my own. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, it was funny, really. Well, it's not funny. Well, it is funny. <laughs> uh, the Swedish publisher um, was initially going to take one of my books, and then we got a message back to say, actually, we're, we're a bit worried about the storylines. I was like, what in my book? You know, that, and they say, well, it is, there is a transgender issue, two rapes and a stillbirth. <laughs> is that? When you put it like that. More, like, really yeah. feel good fiction, you know. And I was like, mm. Yeah, so I do, <laughs> I do get quite a good dose of reality into my fiction as well already. Mm. Um, but in, would I change genre? I think I could probably have a go at something a bit more emotional, um, possibly. Uh, in the future and also maybe something with an older protagonist mm-hmm. because most of the protagonists in my sort of market are tend to be in their 30s um, I do get characters that are coming in so sometimes I have three main characters and I try to have a range of ages um, you know and I, I quite like that so I'm sure I can't be 85 and still writing about the 32 year old <laughs> single <singleton. laughs> looking for a meat cute so um, eventually I'm going to have to grow up myself aren't I? <laughs> uh, do you tend to write the books that you like to read? Do you read the um, same types of books? Yeah so, to a certain extent um, I don't like them too fluffy um, <laughs> but I there are certain authors who I will read and read and read I don't even have to read the blurb and I'll pick them up you know yeah, yeah. they've got a bit of bite to them um, and mine have got humour, but they've also got a bit of bite to them. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so yeah, I, do, I like I like a bit of bite. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I'm just going to go back to the self publishing thing because obviously a lot of our listeners are are interested in writing and mm. stuff, and that is a, a route that that people can now obviously take much more easily yeah. than in the past. But you know, what what advice would you give to someone that was that was going to self publish um, now? You know how What's the best way for them to proceed in that? I invested a lot in my first book. Um, I was very conscious that whatever I put out, because I wanted to have more than one book, I was very conscious that you know readers are going to make a decision on whether they like my writing on that first book. So mm-hmm. I invested in um, a good cover designer. I had a copy. I had editors. Uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. I really spent a lot of time and money on getting that first book right so I think think of it as a business you've got this is your product Mm -hmm. and it's your first product and it's got to hit the market um you know and Mm -hmm. and make a good impression so that's the first thing is get the book right um I think you know marketing is really really key um there's some great uh things out there now uh resources in terms of helping you advertise um you know i would definitely look into amazon advertising and and facebook advertising Mm -hmm. um and just be in terms of social media i would say be really generous with your own content so promote other people um and don't you know don't have a complete timeline of just posting links to your own book um, which is really important 
But I mean, there, there is so much information out there now to help people self-publish. As the what? To be fair, there was when I started. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the reason I didn't carry on self-publishing was that I knew that um, I sort of believe in experts, and I thought I knew I wouldn't be able to spend the time on the marketing side. Um, although I can, I like quite like getting the ideas, and I can then delegate them and get someone else yeah. to do them, mm-hmm. and then focus on the writing. So, because yeah. um, you know, there are only so many hours in the day. Yeah. And so that was the focus for me. And has the has the marketing strategy changed from when you were doing it yourself to when you were picked up? You know, is it still the same? Idea? Is, is is there things that they do differently, or is it is it literally just a case of someone else doing it and you get to step back and and, and well, write? I guess the biggest uh, change is um, live events when you're going into bookshops and doing book events and okay. things like that. That's much harder to organise by yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously, a lot of the with a traditional publisher a lot of their marketing support will be behind the paperback, behind the actual printed version. Okay. Um, uh, whereas a self-publishing, obviously, you know, you don't have to restrict it to the eight weeks following publication. You can promote that book all year round, um, which is, you know, very different, um, but quite tiring. Yeah, <laughs> well. I can absolutely imagine that. Mm. And what was the last book that you read? Strangers by C.L. Taylor. I love a good psychological thriller. Nice. Uh, And what was the last TV show that you watched? Oh, gosh. It was was Gentleman Jack. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've not watched that myself, actually. And that is literally the last thing I watched. And that was, when was that? Beginning of this year? Yeah, that was quite a while. I haven't watched TV. I've watched, <laughs> all I've watched this year is Finding Nemo. <laughs> well, that answers our next question, which is what's the last film you watched? But there you go. <laughs> Did, any any I'm reason too busy for the outside of the gin bar? That's the <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Fair enough. That's fair enough. Uh, and the, the very very last thing we do is a quick fire, either or. So uh, there's no right or wrong answer apart from one question. And uh, I'll start us off with uh, iPad or newspaper ipad um, oh, this is this bodes well for for the next question <laughs> well it's not this one uh, tv <laughs> tv or cinema cinema love so, the cinema yeah i have to say i am um, i was that point where i was like oh, do i really want to see tenet in the cinema but do i want to risk going back to cinema blah, blah. and then mm. yeah because i think there's as much as you can put films back on the TV, you know, they put a lot, a lot of big films are going straight to TV now, which is great mm. because you get to watch them in your own home. But there's something about the cinema experience big. which is just, yeah. yeah We've things. got a lovely independent cinema in uh, Nottingham called the Broadway. And it's just such a lovely experience going to, yeah, going, going there. Nice. Well, hopefully at one point that gets opened up again soon. Mm. <laughs> um, and uh, real book or ebook? Oh, now that's hard because I do really like them both. Um, I don't feel pressured into answering the typical classic answer just (laughs) just go for what's in your heart yeah do you know what I love my Kindle yes mostly mostly because I can read it with the light off and I don't whoops I disturb my husband just one of the many practical many uh, positives of reading ebooks well no no Tarek Tarek loves ebooks and uh, I, I think this is like we've had about forty-five guests or something. <laughs> and about five people have said ebooks. So he, You're one he's of always... the uh, chosen few, Kathy. You've made it to the, to the final group. Excellent. 
Well, I think it's safe to say that season five is the comeback season for the ebook army. This is where it all begins for you. This is it. This is it. This is the this is the twist that everyone's been waiting for. For those of you that don't know, um, this is a common theme we ask our guests about this, and I would say most of the guests, uh, and when I say most, I would say about forty of them have said real books. <laughs> but certainly, this these past yeah, few episodes, yeah. we've had quite a few fans of ebooks. People are people aren't afraid anymore, Marco. People are <laughs> people are willing to actually see what they really believe and not just go along with everyone else. Or they've not been able to get to a bookshop because of COVID. (laughs) Listen, silver linings, Mark. Silver linings (laughs) and everything. But thanks very much to Cathy for taking the time to speak to us. I thought it was a really good episode and there was a lot of good advice there, you know, about if you're wanting to get into self-publishing, you know, treating it like a uh, an investment almost, you know, taking that time to get editors, to get a proper cover. All of these things, I think, are... They can sometimes seem obvious, I think, but also they're definitely overlooked. If you look at the at the Kindle store, self-published stuff, a lot of it just doesn't have any of that um, sort yeah. of professional sheen to it, which I think can make a massive difference when you're launching your first book. And obviously oh, totally. she launched it in that very unique way with the phone box as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you're, I think now more than ever, when you're, as you say, we're not going to bookstores, everything's online, really. You do judge it by the cover. And, you know, as much as you'd like to think it's the words that count, for so much of it is, what does it look like? And it is definitely worth paying someone to make a proper front front image that, mm-hmm. that looks professionally made. It doesn't look cheap. It looks like there's a quality product inside. Yeah, so I think so. If you spent the time and the effort to write a great book, don't, give it a crap front front no, image that exactly. you know no one wants to click on that you've created a microsoft paint or something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but genuinely thanks very much to kathy for taking the time to uh, come on to the podcast we really appreciate that and the third uh, part of my kind of happy has just launched uh, at the time this episode is going out so you can pick that up along with the previous two parts and then uh, the full book will be available in march next year Absolutely. Um, but we've got another great guest next week. And actually, it's it's not a writer. Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, chat we have next week with Mr. Benjamin Dreyer, who is a copy editor uh, over at Penguin Random House. He's the chief and copy. Ed- chief ed- copy, not just any copy editor, yeah. the chief copy editor. And uh, he's he's got a very interesting uh, career and his a very interesting job about what he does there, how he edits books what he looks for when he's editing books what what changes he makes and how they come out the other end and that kind of behind the scenes chat about that people maybe don't really know much about or there's not really much written about so it's, it's a really fascinating I think, look yeah at. you know if you're interested in writing yourself then it's a it's a great behind the scenes look at one of the most important parts of the process but mm-hmm. also even if you're not wanting to get published yourself he's a fascinating and really funny and interesting guy and he also has released a couple of things recently um he's released dryer's english which is a sort of style guide but it's not a, a sort of staid style guide it's it's written in a very enter- entertaining way but it's also really on point and really useful so i definitely recommend picking that up and he's also released a game as well uh, state which is all it sort of gives you 
um, paragraphs or sentences that you then have to try and copy edit. Um, so we talk about all of that next week, but he's he is a really great guest, a, a really funny guy. So I would definitely recommend tuning in for that one. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, if anyone has any questions or comments, they can always get in touch by sending us a tweet to at right underscore gear or an email to podcasts at rightgear.co.uk. And before I go, I will, as always, ask that if you enjoyed the episode, if you could take a couple of seconds just to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and even better, a short review, that would be amazing because it helps us climb the charts. And if we climb the charts, eh, we get more noticed and we're able to continue get, getting great guests on the podcast. And we have eh, a number of great guests lined up as well in the coming yeah. weeks. Absolutely. So... Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Yeah, see, see you, you later. later.